0: It's incredibly dangerous.
1: How's he eating all that stuff?
0: What even is it? Thank you for choosing Paltrow. Paltrow. Yes. And what do you do? We can digest pretty much whatever it wants. By the looks of
1: things, don't fancy its chances. Yeah. We know you have a choice of vid briefings concerning the most threatening. Sorry. Here we go. Here come the
0: drums. <laughs>
1: hello and welcome to pull to open an ongoing quest to watch every single story in the television show known as doctor who in completely random order my name non-randomly is chris taylor
0: my name's Pete Paschal. Chris and I were a couple writers, intense fans, uh, occasional journalists who've been addicted to Doctor Who for many, many years, perhaps decades. Uh, we occasionally write about the
1: show, and we always, always have a lot to say about it. Yes, and here's what we've had to say in our random adventure so far. Three episodes ago, uh, we were in the lost William Hartnell story, The Smugglers which is about to be animated, animated, allegedly. I don't think we've heard any more news about that. But still, we we had a somewhat mixed time in The Smugglers, and then we rocketed forward to Tom Baker and had a really mixed time in The Invasion of Time on Gallifrey. And then last time, along with our special guest, Dave Kitchen. From the Doctor Who show, we went to visit the Doctor's wife in the Matt Smith era and had a fine old time. Some of us finer than others, but uh, but yeah, it was pretty wild. Yeah, it was our first three-way split with yes. a guest in terms of our ratings. And our we first did. guest yeah. with a fixed point in time. Yeah. A brand yeah. new rating in the pull to open rating system. And then Dave graciously agreed to stand at the controls of the randomizer. And where did he bring us? He brought us to the new show, the Jodie Whittaker era, series 11, episode five, the Suranga Conundrum. I'm pronouncing that correctly, right? Be Suranga. <laughs> I don't Suranga, even know anymore. Suranga. So right, it's wronger.
0: Why, why, why? What is the obsession with Ts in this one? Because there's the monster, right? Which is
1: like the potato. Yeah. Why,
0: why is everything hard to pronounce in the future?
1: <laughs> and, and it, yes, it's also the same scenes as Sim as some, some Chore. Right, right that same season, Isn't yes. That, that's a TS situation. We, we will call it a troubled season as far
0: as uh, pronunciations go.
1: A troubled <laughs> uh. season. A troubled season. A troubled season from Chris Pichibnall, the P is silent. Um, but yes, uh, before we start, if you want to go straight to the comedy on the Ptsaronga conundrum. <laughs> The comedy <laughs> <laughs> our comedy commentary, uh, which it kind of will be already is uh, yeah. <laughs> if you want to cut straight to the comedy, uh, check the show notes, and we've given you the exact time to fast forward to uh, if you if you don't feel like being in the feedback loop, but hey we we kind of like uh splashing around in the shallow end of the feedback loop for a little bit so. Paint, what we've what have we got this week? The
0: feedback loop has begun. So, listeners, if you enjoy Pull to Open, our world-renowned reviews on Doctor Who episodes, are heavily populated TikTok channel, mm-hmm. which you should definitely check out, Pull to Open on TikTok. Uh, or our emoji title brain teasers, we'd like to ask you right now, pause the playback of this podcast just for a second, and please leave a review or a rating in whatever podcast app you may be listening in. Uh, reviews really do help the show. And we also sometimes lead, like to read your review out on air. So, the only way, the only way to better show your appreciation for this show is to share the podcast with a friend. Surely you know someone in your life who likes science fiction, who may like Doctor Who, and they may not be aware of Pull to Open. Uh, tap them on the shoulder with a text, with a tweet with whatever you use to virtually ping someone or pitting them, perhaps. <laughs>
1: uh, and yes. uh, let them know. Let them know that uh, this is here for them. We're waiting yes. for them. Yes. Tell them there's a sign they've been walking past for 700 years. What's it say? It says pull to open. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> anyway, uh, yes, we, we have our Moji game, uh, as we dubbed it last week. Uh, mm. When you send in your Humoji review, you send in the title of a story, uh, merely in emoji form and uh, that might be emoji that represents the title it might be emoji that represents the content um, but that's that's how we do it we stick that in our codex our list of doctor who stories you too could be part of the codex uh forever for all time with your emoji reviews mm. uh, and we have uh, one now we have one it's time for me to be stumped <laughs> again by the emoji. With- chris our
0: only contestant this week yeah that's last right last week we had two and so we the reigning champion dave kitchen could not return so that's right he's defaults he's back away. to you chris
1: he's walked away with his humoji trophy
0: but we have we have a brain teaser a, a doctor who story in the form the title in the form of an emoji and uh this one comes from rowan uh, this is mm-hmm. actually rounding out his contributions from a review a few weeks ago where mm-hmm. he gives a whole bunch uh you'll be pleased to know we'll have more on the way another old friend of the pod has just given us a, a, a filled up our reserves our reservoir oh, of you. emoji you, titles guys. is is keep keeps coming
1: it was about uh, to run dry so thank you thank you for <laughs> filling it so are you ready sir the emoji I, challenge um, as i will ever be uh, as you know people describe the emoji to me uh, so that that's one source of brain power lost uh, as i try <laughs> to visualize these particular emoji and then i have to come up with what out of the 300 odd uh, story titles of doctor who this could be so i mean that's quite a challenge this is some mm. serious mental uh, olympics right here
0: i know we got to figure out some way we can feed you the actual emojis live yeah, uh, at some point we'll figure Ooh, that out.
1: Yes, that'd be a nice visual component.
0: So, uh, yeah. but mm-hmm. today I'm just going to have to describe them. So okay. I'm tapping into sort of all of my Shakespearean powers as a, <laughs> a, of language. And is
1: this an emoji I see before me?
0: <laughs> all right, here it is. Uh, it is three emojis. First emoji: cardboard box. Okay second emoji robot third emoji explosion
1: okay there's a lot of Doctor Who that could be a, a robot in a box with an explosion is it just robots? Uh, I'm, go- I'm going for the easy ones ro- there's no episode called robots <laughs> no robot singular the first Tom Baker Sorry. oh robot. robot it is not robot 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 in a box uh, mad robot in a box mad robot exploding in a box wow no i, I feel like i'm going to need a hint on this one okay first it's... hint
0: <laughs> um boxes for most folks today tend to come oh oh is it in... kablam is it kablam
1: it's kablam yes <laughs> 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 you didn't even need to say Amazon. <laughs>
0: I was going to say, uh, I did, wasn't sure what to say. Come from a company. And it was yes. like, hmm, that kind of gives it away.
1: We were about to get some and sponsorship from Amazon, and then they, they somehow refused to sponsor us. So, uh, yeah, we didn't actually mention their name uh, on the air, <laughs> except we have now. Uh, so, uh, Amazon, call us.
0: Sweet. All right, way to go. You've won this week's Omo- Humoji Challenge with only one hint. So we'll keep track of this. One hint. I'm writing it down.
1: <laughs> but success. I was actually thinking of Kablam, but I thought that I was sort of, uh, you know, my thinking is kind of mired in the Whitaker era, given where we are right now. Uh, exactly. So I, I didn't want to be Whitaker biased, but turns out I should have been.
0: Hmm. You too, listener, can have your emoji challenge emoji title read out on air, of course. Just leave them in uh, as a review. Or ping us on Twitter at pull to open 63 uh, or wherever you find us on the socials, which have, uh, which are <laughs> many places such as Instagram also pulled to open 63 and Facebook also pulled to open 63. Uh, one other place you can actually find us is YouTube and we are at youtube.com slash pull to open. That's also a great place to leave an emoji title or a comment. Uh, Plus, you can see us. You can see all these fun things we have in the background. You can see my Whitaker-themed background today. Um, And uh, we also got some great comments on YouTube. There's good discussion there. And I would love to highlight one of Mm. our commenters on YouTube this week. So a gentleman named Jeffrey Baker uh, had a comment about our companion verification system. So you might recall a couple of weeks ago... Uh, A few weeks ago now, we went public with our companion verification system. This is answering the age-old question in Doctor Who, who really counts as a companion? You have Mm. certainly clear companions like Tegan, like Leela, like Rose, but there are lots of people who are only in the TARDIS for a short period of time, only there for a story or two. Uh, but do companion-y stuff. So hmm. once you get to these edge cases, you start to sort of think, well, wait a minute, what is a companion and what isn't? And everyone seems to have a different answer. Uh, we we have now a system that I think people can get behind as, uh, you know, like having a, awarding points for various things that you do with the doctor to DMP, achieve a certain so. amount. Mm-hmm. In our case, it's 10. Uh, to to count as a companion, yeah, exactly. It's just just like the DMV guys, just like when you go there and you have different ID. We That's know you love point. to
1: think about the DMV, so, <laughs> <laughs> so to do it in a Doctor Who context.
0: Jeffrey Baker uh, had some comments and brought up a couple of interesting edge cases. So, uh, here we go. He says he says interesting discussion. RTD seems to explicitly want to disrupt this idea of companionship. Mm. even from his first season with the introduction of Adam as the companion who doesn't work. Yeah, uh, as yeah. people might recall, Adam does not make the cut in our system. Yeah, uh, mostly nine, because, points. yeah nine, nine
1: points. Nine points, It's just Sorry. one shot. Because it's that minus six you get from working against the Doctor. So Jeffrey brings up two other edge cases we
0: had not considered. One, Wilfred Mott, unfortunately, mm. does not classify with this system. More, He's in more than one story, four. Mm-hmm. Name in the credits, four. Uh, and so he gets eight. One could argue that Donna invites him, but either way, he doesn't accept. Plus, he is the one who knocks four times. So maybe there's a minus six there, too. I think that's a little harsh.
1: <laughs> I mean, oh, yeah. Well, he's he's he, just trying
0: to live, man.
1: Yeah, exactly. He just, that's how many times he knocks. How many times yeah. do you knock on a door? Uh, yeah. Poor
0: guy. Yeah. So, but that's interesting. He gets eight. Um, mm-hmm. And then he also brings up. A later or earlier addition to the Brigadier's family is Mark Gattis' character in mm. Twice Upon a Time as Archibald Hamish Lethbert Stewart. He travels in space. He, like, he takes a trip in the TARDIS, in other words. He mm-hmm. travels in time, and he has his name in the credits. Yep. So he he makes the cut.
1: Yeah, he he makes the cut perhaps more than than the brigadier did, uh, yeah. or fa- certainly faster than the brigadier did. Yeah, it's an interesting case in you know, it because we, we we talked about Liz Shaw last week, and mm-hmm. uh, we we noted that uh, like we, we have to figure out how she makes the cut because it's our, our point system is very TARDIS centric. Um, right. but the thing is, I mean, okay, unless we're going to cheat here and give Bernard Cribbins extra points for having traveled in the TARDIS during the Peter Cushing movies. Um, hmm. I, I think, yeah, you've got to say, under our system, Wilfred doesn't make the cut. Well, obviously, Wilf is hugely important. So maybe it's this it's this whole thing of, like, wh- why Why are we only talking about companions? Right. right. Why, why is it just, why is there only one sort of is it? I know the Doctor has a very flat team structure, but like <laughs> you can you can have in an, any organization you have titles other than just the one title, other than companion, right? Right. So I, I don't know what it like. You know, Liz Shaw and Wolf seems to seem to be at, at top of mind for sort of you know Earth based companions, as it were, or I don't know what we call them F, FODs, Friends of the Doctor, um, right. Yeah, it's something that's not necessarily any less than, mm-hmm. um, and then our, thus our point system could be for basically tardis space companions, which is kind of a different, a different genre. Uh, no, but
0: I think your point's great in that, like, hmm. we kind of need another word. Yeah, uh, like, and whether it is a companions are thus a subset of that word, or it's something else that is sort of uh, adjacent to it yeah, you need like, I think like, the only word I can think of is friend. Yeah. <laughs> friend of the doctor.
1: Solid, uh, solid title. Friend of the doctor definitely doesn't, uh, downplay it in any way. Um, and it, but it is like that there are these characters who, who basically their home is earth. They do not live on the TARDIS at any point, but mm-hmm. they are super important to the doctor and adventures, super essential, super beloved as, as Wilf is RIP Bernard Cribbins. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I you know I I really think that there there needs to be this sort of just essential division between the the two sides of the Doctor's Earth friends, the ones yeah. that actually go traveling with him, and, mm. and the ones who just sort of stick around and refuse the adventure, but but are still super important anytime he, vis- he visits Earth, right? Yeah, I totally
0: agree. And it just occurred to me maybe one of uh, there might be another criteria we add to the system, which is do you have a room in the TARDIS?
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep, gives you, yep that gives you uh, a
0: huge number of points
1: yes indeed but you know we'll we'll never know whether whether jack actually does or not that was led uh left uh, deliberately uh vague i seem to remember in uh, revolution of the daleks oh uh, interesting
0: yes. yeah i'd have to go back to that i, I can't see how we couldn't you know because in between oh, we'll get there later but i mean yeah. in between uh the doctor dances in boomtown it just seems like so much time has passed um but we'll get back to that at some point thank you jeffrey for your great comments always good to get more feedback on our companion system go check out that uh podcast or youtube video when you have a second uh but moving on in the feedback loop uh spotify listeners this is your reminder that there's even more ways to interact with the show you can, first of all, rate the show in your mobile app. You can give us a star rating anytime you want. You don't even have to pause the playback. I'm sure that would, mm. would not take much time. Um, but every week, Chris and I, as everyone knows, give a rating, a pull-to-open rating, to the uh, Doctor Who story that we're talking about. Uh, whether it's a uh, Ogron, a Dalek, a Viscount Banger, explanations for all those, of course, at the end of the show. Uh, But you too, listener, can give your rating for whatever episode we're talking about. You can just go to your Spotify app and through the poll function, you can choose one of our five ratings and we will announce the results in a future episode. And I will do that now for the Invasion of Time. So the Invasion of Time, a second excursion to Gallifrey for Tom Baker's fourth doctor. Uh, Chris and I had a split decision on that one. Uh, I had uh, very fond, not just fond memories of it, but I think structurally really held up. I called it a Dalek. Uh, Chris not was not as enthusiastic, shall we say. Uh, you're, you had <laughs> so a little sorry. bit of... A, yeah, you had a I, bit of a bit of some issues with... with I, uh, I went with know? Professor Hater in the end, right? Mm, you did. Yeah. So, the fans have spoken... And uh I'm sorry, I I, I win again.
1: <laughs> it's a Dalek, so I see, yeah, yeah. yeah. We've even got some ratings for a Viscount banger here. Yeah. Uh, some people really like it. I'm Some people
0: were super into it. I think it's going a
1: little far. Yeah, <laughs> I'm quite surprised. <laughs> Maybe for some people anything on Gallifrey is like just automatic banger. Like, yes, I'm I'm getting backstory. Finally, I'm getting history on the doctor's planet i'm getting some idea of it
0: and you get uh, those abandoned hospital corridors in the tardis which i think <laughs> if for some people might think that subversion of expectations is, yes. is super amazing like it's just this old warehouse okay
1: <laughs> that's <laughs> it's fine just a, it's a uh, hospital for uh people with uh, mental health issues uh, especially which, which does seem appropriate for the tardis uh, <laughs> True the times. Uh, it is it is a madman in a box so yeah so occasionally I can see bites. that I can see that and I, I fully admit that part of my problem with the Evasion of Time is I did have like you know I was one of those kids who read the episode summaries of course growing up in the UK we didn't get repeats uh, so I just had to imagine it in my own head and I've so just sort of on and off over the years as a Doctor Who fan anytime Evasion of Time comes up I hadn't seen it before I hadn't gotten around to seeing it at all uh, until this podcast um, I, I had grand visions of the Sontarans in the mm. TARDIS, and was just very surprised with what we ended up with. Um, so yeah. Yeah, it is all about <laughs> it's all about where your expectations start. So I can see a lot of people kind of coming to this completely not knowing anything that happens.
0: Uh, you know, speaking of Sontarans and TARDISes, I think if you have fond memories of this, you might have been seared by the moment where he slips on the deck yes. chairs. And, and get, I think Doctor Who's education is really working here because you really learn don't run next to a pool. <laughs> <laughs> and so a kid's watching that's probably like, yes. oh, yep, I feel you definitely like don't they, want to run. Bad idea, Suntarns. That's one draw They to should on.
1: dub in Tom Baker like now. Just, just do a special edition where he just throws in a line of and that's why you don't run next to a swimming pool. <laughs> like
0: uh, he just turns to camera again. It's,
1: <laughs> it's, he's already done it. He does it so many times in this episode. Yeah. And maybe maybe that's it. Maybe that's how my Camp Bang is. People love breaking the fourth wall.
0: Perfect. Alrighty. Well again, once you have heard our commentary today on the syringic rundrum, please head over to your podcast uh, your Spotify app and let us know what you thought. Of the story. All righty, we should should get on to the conundrum, but there's actually some stuff going on in the Doctor Who universe right now. So they're making some Doctor Who, as everyone knows. Series 14 with Chudy Gatla and Millie Gibson. And they have released some photographs of them in full costume for one of their stories. And oh
1: my, my, are they swinging in the 60s. So swinging, there's there's a, just a rocking hairstyle on Shooty, and and he's mm-hmm. wearing a pinstripe blue suit, yeah, somewhat somewhat in the style of ten, potentially in the style of fourteen, um, eh, a little bit. Is it- is it uh does he does he just after spending another round as david tennant is he just really into pinstripes again pinstripes are cool (laughs) Uh, Um could be
0: could be i I see it's a little winky certainly but i mean he's rocking it like he looks great she looks Mm -hmm. great i like that they're really leaning into um they I don't know like what like they really do look like how they would dress in sort of a swinging 60s kind of way with this handsome black man and this blonde uh girl and they're like I think I'm glad they're kind of not shying away from going there you know what I mean yeah, like yeah. with the big afro and all of this and and you Know, yeah, why not? I mean, that's that's basically like how you would look in, in uh, certain situations in that it, decade. Go for it, it. it. <laughs>
1: does feel like a reboot of, of the Avengers almost, by which I mean the UK show, mm. the Avengers. I got uh, it with uh, good old Honor Blackman. Uh, and then with, uh, yes, and then in the 70s they had the uh, uh a reboot uh, again, and yeah, maybe it's time to reboot it yet again. But it's almost a, like Shooty is so well dressed. In all of his outfits, and so coordinated, I like the you know the orange and the the you know the check coat that is sort mm-hmm. of his uh, official garb, um, like it's it's almost hard to believe it's the Doctor because he's mm. got too much of a sense of fashion. I mean, yeah, the doctor, the doctor wears sand shoes with a suit. The Doctor wears a multicolored cloak coat that makes his enemies go blind. The Doctor you Know, likes fezzes. I mean, the doctor's not necessarily noted for his fashion choices over the years, so it's uh, well, something, we. something changed. Okay, but we, yeah, yeah. but you know, he, he got a helping hand as we saw in Spearhead from Space by just basically stealing uh, the clothes of another doctor. Uh, it wasn't yeah, and that's totally his choice. I think we
0: talked about that at the time, and it's mm-hmm. almost like that set the template mentally for himself like, oh, I'm a James Bond type and I'm suave right. and I do these sort of over the top, fancy dress, outlandish uh, stuff. That's what I'm going to do, and uh, maybe that's what they're going for here. I, yep. I think it's a good choice generally. I think there's a there's to be a hard thing to get right, and I, I don't want to be too cautious on this, but I also don't want to don't want anyone to get the wrong idea in that. Well, you have a young black man, and yeah. if you're gonna get them to be dressed awkwardly. Like, yeah. does that start to delve into sort of Steve Urkel territory a little too quickly mm, if he's a bit mm. nerdy, right? Like, I think people, you, you don't want to think too hard about this because if you overthink it, I think you get results kind of like what, and I, and I think we were a little split on this, but I think you get something like when at the end of Power of the Doctor, I I, I still think they made the wrong choice of not, of, of regenerating the clothes for the reasons they did. Uh, though I think we'll, we'll again, figure out what that happens with that story. But I do the think they... They, like with RTD and what he said about it, I think he got into his own head a little in trying to get ahead of reactions. And here, I think you can't ignore what the reaction might be, but mm-hmm. um, I, I, I'm a little more forgiving of this move uh, because I think there's a huge opportunity here to have sort of a stylish doctor. And we've seen, like yeah. you say, like his, 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 this outfit, what is supposedly his normal outfit. And I we touched on it briefly, but he has that leather coat in one shot. Mm. um he looks fabulous in all of them it looks great i i I like this idea of a younger sort of i'm much more sort of stylish even though i might be Mm. sort of internally awkward in some ways like not really understanding things but uh and uh, and i'll say one last thing about it i feel like You've lived for over a thousand years. You must have learned a thing or two about fashion at some point, dude. Come on.
1: <laughs> so yes, I'm a yes, and maybe you know we maybe we've got the the celestial toy maker teaches the doctor a thing or two about fashion since it is still my contention that it's the toy maker that has created the suit for the doctor. He is mm. playing dress up with the doctor.
0: Oh, I think it will um, be. Yeah, I think yeah, that that'll be yeah. the in show reason for it. I was just sort of yeah. more criticizing the out show reason, which again I, I get it. I'm just a little like. I think that sets a bad precedent.
1: Well, anyway, we we will see. But yeah, I I, I kind of like your idea that yeah, the doctor can actually learn to to be fashionable. Um, it it does prompt something that perhaps we will make a uh, a short trip at some point. Um, this whole question of like what who who is the doctor like you know what what can we say about the doctor about their personality that is true across all regenerations, Right? Are mm-hmm. there? Are there traits that have lasted through every single regeneration? Is it just sort of the baseline curiosity or is there more? Is there more sort of quirkiness uh, that we can say has has translated down through the years? Or is it more a sort of a, a, a broom situation as they talk about in, in Deep Breath, um, mm. you know, or a, a Ship of Theseus situation if you're familiar with WandaVision? Um,
0: <laughs> you know,
1: uh, yeah, this, this yeah. may be another example of it.
0: Cool. Well, we're going to find out about a year. I don't know, maybe a little less. I forget when series 14 is due to start. I think it's not too far after the new year, but looking forward to it. I love the teases they're doing. And clearly um, they're like, again, this is RTD being masterful at what to tease, right? Like these just great visuals getting us excited uh, for all the things we're going to see in the coming year. Doctor who's back, baby, or it will be
1: very soon. It is back. It will be. We're going to see the pace of these releases, uh, pick up a little bit, I think, and uh, yeah, looking forward to getting into it again. Looking forward to the just the generalized excitement of Doctor Who fans on social media, especially uh, as as the stuff gets uncovered, like a treasure hunt. All right, okay, it's time, I think, to exit the feedback loop. Yep, How about feedback loop. <clears throat> All right,
0: what happens next? We just start talking about the episode, right? We don't have to do anything
1: before we do that (laughs) that's right no no actually no yes there is there is tldw as well you know and uh it is that time of the show where we summarize the story that we're talking about the episode that we're talking about in the record time of 30 seconds per classic show but this is new show so you get one minute and it is you pete it is your turn it is me Oh my god! And, uh, how you how you feeling? I mean, there's there's not a whole lot of story, and on the other hand, maybe there's too much story.
0: <laughs> there was not a whole lot of story in my head after I watched it. I was like, "What the yeah. hell just happened?" I I seriously, I'll, I'll get into it when we get into it. But I mean, like, I had to read like two plot summaries to like mm. prep for this because I'm like, "What happened again?" Like, huh? <laughs> anyway, I'll I'll get through it somehow. Uh, actually, there's a surprisingly a lot sort of going. On in this one from a on paper mm-hmm. standpoint, um, so this might be hard. So yeah. I'm, not, I'm honestly not remember, feeling great, right, but we'll see.
1: If you remember my lesson from the TLW last week, uh, TLDW last week, where I did the doctor's wife, but kind of went over time uh, because I I ended up talking about the scene setting, the characters uh, on on the junkyard asteroid, and uh, not enough about the actual plot. So hopefully, you will not make the same mistake. But we will find out. We'll find out. out. We will find out with the official pulls open summary of the Saranga Conundrum in one minute. In three, two, one, go.
0: The Doctor and her companions are on some junk planet. They're looking for something They can counter a sonic mind. It goes off. They wake up on a hospital ship. It's called uh, the Saranga, I think. It's a Saranga ship. Mm -hmm. Anyway, it's like... They're there, they're, but it's four days later, they're recovering, they want to get back. But uh, what happens is that uh, the, this ship is attacked by a small creature, it's called the Pating. And it's really, really dangerous and really, really powerful, even though it's more childlike and it's eating stuff and it's going for energy sources. It kills one of the doctors by having him go into the escape pod second. that it was feasting on. And then uh, there's this crisis, they try, There's uh, the. They, they need to navigate this asteroid field. So they can get back to the medical base really quickly. They have this do- this general who has a heart condition. Do it, but she dies doing it. Uh, at the same time, there's this guy Yas who's having a he's a male uh, having a baby. Ryan convinces him to his- be a father because he was going to give up the baby. Uh, they all make it back. They get rid of the pating by uh, taking the bomb that, the- that was going to get set off to destroy the engine, oh, and it gets kicked out. And then they all come back to the medical base and kind of okay and the guy's gonna keep the baby i I think i mentioned that
1: (laughs) (laughs) yes yeah and they come back and they have a a little ceremony for for the general uh yeah i sure do
0: i think i crammed most of it in there did i I missed probably one of the plots so there's the pating
1: there's the the general and there's the there's the the baby there's like it's like abc plot Yeah, uh, you got Yoss, who's the uh, character who has the baby. Right. And uh, yeah, Astos was the the one who's killed in the escape pod. And did you mention the escape pod just sort of randomly? Yeah,
0: I did. It it, it sort of blows up. Okay. Okay. Like, okay. Where to start? Should we start with a big picture here?
1: Yes. Like, I will say this.
0: Okay, you go ahead. You go first.
1: Obviously, we, we are not in a TARDIS-heavy episode here. This is one of those <laughs> episodes where the Doctor loses the TARDIS. Um, but then I, I kind of... Okay, I'll say a positive thing about the Saroni Conundrum first. Maybe our first positive thing of the episode. Do it. Um, I like that the Doctor it actually cares about losing the TARDIS this time. There are so many times, hmm. when, especially in previous regenerations, when the Doctor loses the TARDIS... Um, And they just seem to have this kind of devil-may-care attitude about it. Uh, And in this one, Hmm. the doctor actually says, no, this is like a super important ship and it's our home. And I don't like the idea of it being on a junk planet where anyone can come along and pick it up. Uh, Despite reception filters, right? Yeah. 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 Uh. But still, like, yeah, maybe it's more at risk in a place where people might pick something up or scoop a whole load of trash up. Yeah, uh, I'll agree there. There's, I,
0: there's too many times. Yeah. It's just like whatevs. And yeah, although like I, I think I, I, one for some reason, the one I'm thinking of is oxygen. And I, I remember them. I think mm-hmm. they were more worried about just dying from lack of oxygen, but I do remember them like, Oh, like we really got to get back to the TARDIS and we can't. Yeah. Uh, anyway. Yeah, that's <laughs> the point. Okay. Listen, uh, here's what I would say about this one. Cause you said something positive. I'll, I'll mm-hmm. counter that. It's yes. very We, we apt. will be the matter
1: and anti-matter of uh, <laughs> Saranga Conundrum commentary.
0: It's very apt that this episode begins with the Doctor, Graham, Yaz, and Ryan standing in a steaming heap of garbage. <laughs> uh, because that is that is Tell essentially really my review think. of the Saranga Conundrum. <laughs> I, I think... In, I'll you know I'll <laughs> spoiler alert on my rating. This might be the worst episode of Doctor Who I have seen. Uh, Whoa!
1: Yeah, wow. uh,
0: at least I for this knew podcast. We were get
1: into it, but yeah,
0: <clears throat> wow. yeah. It's it's just bad. It's bad. It's bad. It's bad. It's bad. There's it's and it. I don't, I I need to unpack in this discussion why it's bad because seemingly yes. there are uh, all the ingredients of a Doctor Who episode here. But I think none of them hit well at all, and it all just adds up to a giant nothing burger. Like I have felt nothing both times I watched it. Mm. This is only the second time I've seen it, really. Um, the first time I, when it was sort of at broadcast or close to broadcast, and and I'm just I stand by my feeling and that like it was just what was that like? Yeah, I'm, let's hope hope the next week's better. It was thankfully the next one after this mm-hmm. is Demons of the Punjab. Demons of the Punjab. You know, it's got it's got a spaceship. It's got mines. It's got the doctor running around. It's got monsters. Um, yet all of it seems really confused uh, and and doesn't pay off in ways that you want it to. Um, and I could I could inventory it all, but it's I mean, the Sinanix Conundrum is a very very misguided episode. And hmm. it's here's my my broad review is that. There's nothing wrong with the cast. I think they're all fine. I don't think anyone's really outstanding, but they're all good. Uh, I will have some praise for Jodie Whittaker and what she does here. I think I think she's she's actually probably the best thing about this episode. Um, yeah. But I uh, think, despite
1: especially with uh, Jodie and Brett Goldstein, okay, to say yeah. to say another. <laughs> to say another positive thing about the Saranga conundrum, this this is uh, the only episode of Doctor Who with Brett Goldstein in it. And uh, Brett Goldstein, if you are a Ted Lasso fan, you know him as Roy Kent, the sweary mm-hmm. soccer player. And uh, he is very not Roy Kent in this. <laughs> he is he's sort of a uh kind of, he's not doing the accent he's not being a cockney he's he's uh, <laughs> kind of he's kind of a bit posh and he's not kind of leaning it so Brett Goldstein I think since Ted Lasso has discovered that his his star is hitched to the notion of being like you know hairy and aggressive and he uh appears spoiler alert if you haven't seen Thor uh Love and Thunder uh he is revealed at the end to be Hercules uh perhaps in some future Dude, the movie. So <laughs> sorry about that, but I feel like I, I just I had to share that that particular thing. Mm. It's one of those end credit sequence where, you're like, you don't know if this is actually going to turn into a movie or not. Like, you know, the Howard the Duck end credit sequence. Right, and right. I don't feel like it's a real spoiler. I feel like it's just they wanted to get Brett Goldstein in it somehow. Um, but yeah, it's kind of weird to to watch it here to watch his performance at Astus, because it feels like he's playing. Doctor Who character number two, you know? Or well, that <laughs> stuff was okay.
0: I-, I didn't mind his <laughs> scenes. Um, uh, I'll get to that in a second. I just want to finish my thought on the overall, which mm. is that despite all the, the, the fine cast and the, the actually clearly high production values, I feel like this is trying way too hard to be normal. Doctor Who, right? Like this is Chibnall's first season. I think he's trying to write sort of what he thinks is a normal, episodic episode of you know set in the future doctor who mm. and it's it's just so by the numbers <clears throat> it's it's just trying so hard to be an everyday episode that it it, it there's no real weight to it you know like yes. there's just nothing there
1: um trying so hard i think is is the is the key here i think this is tribunal trying hard to be rtd mm. uh and i'll tell you one one reason why i think that is the uh the whole situation with yas the um the, the male character, male alien character who's pregnant, mm-hmm. um, the, there are a few things that like the, that, whole setup, first of all, feels a bit RTD ish. And I feel RTD obviously would have handled mm-hmm. it a lot better. Like we can talk about what the secret source is of how RTD would have done this. Uh, but also like the specifically that line about where he names the baby and he's like, Oh, you, you, Graham, right. and Ryan, you inspired me to name. And they're like, Oh, named it after us. Uh, it's like, no, I named it out that great Earth hero, Avocado Pear. Um, you know, which yeah. is very, very RTD. Definitely puts me in mind of uh, Voyage of the Damned. Uh, and is it uh, Mr. Copper in that? Who was always getting Earth history wrong? You know? Mm, yeah, something like yeah. that, vaguely. In That sort of very cliched way. Now, let me explain this Christmas thing. You know what it let reminds me people. of? It reminds me of the gag in Time and the Ronnie...
0: Where Sylvester McCoy would say phrases like Time and Tide waits for no man, but get them slightly wrong, Time and Tide melts the snowman. And it's it's kind <laughs> of this juvenile joke that might make you chuckle the first time, but gets really like like it's mm. it's not that clever. And you could see why they dropped it immediately. Um, mm. you know, that doesn't he doesn't do it at all after that episode. And this this it's this level of humor what that is, that avocado pair. Mm. It's like, okay, yeah, like, you're kind of, uh, okay. <laughs> like, that's your reaction. You might chuckle a little bit, but you're like, oh, really? That's the joke? And then you kind of immediately go, is that the joke? I, I guess, okay. It's kind of dumb,
1: honestly. It's kind of dumb, but it also feels like uh, another piece of evidence that Chibnall is reaching for for RTD, here, that he really wants to be RTD. Yeah. Like, And he, he's sort of, he's looking for the recipe. But mm. I feel like he's looking too intellectually, and he's not sort of feeling the emotion of this, because yeah, this this is um, yeah, it's not a great episode. I'll, I'll just I'll say that straight. I'll stop trying to say nice things about it. It's not <laughs> great. It kind I'll of like right from nice the things. start stops you in a lot of ways. Yep. Um, and uh, one of those things is like right from the start. What are we even doing? We're we're on a junk planet looking for for bits of the TARDIS, and and the Doctor sort of left them let them come to the wrong planet and like right right out of the gate you're kind of annoyed at the doctor uh for that and it's not even annoyed in a oh doctor oh you old scamp kind of way it's just like well that was really an error um well what about about the sonic mind too like first of all i I could pick there's a
0: lot of things to pick out here so i've really got to be selective Mm. but i'll just do a quick pick on the sonic mind which is that what what kind of mind Do you design that scrambles people's insides but doesn't kill them? Like, like this is the problem I have with a lot of this. It's almost like a litmus test I have in science fiction where it's like, well, if Mm. the thing that is the sci fi version of the real world, everyday modern version is less effective than the real world version. Like, why is it even a sci fi thing at all? Like, in other words, if that was a conventional mine, they'd just all be dead. (laughs) <laughs> like yeah. that's a, a no question it's a sonic mind and they're not so what what is the point of a sonic mind it just makes no friggin sense if it's not there to kill people um so there's that uh but here like stepping back on this season. And sort of the arcs they have with, with the characters here. Like you think about the second episode where they're kind of like teleported into space, right? Like the, and, and they had to be mm-hmm. rescued. And this one where there's a sonic mind, but the doctor can't stop it. It actually goes off. Like they it seems like Chibnall's trying to emphasize the the real danger of this and trying to make it more visceral. And I kind of admire that. But at the same time, there's never any real consequence, right? Like, think about. Uh, And again, it would be a different show, but it would be a bolder choice to say, well, what if one of them actually lost an arm or maybe doesn't mean that much, like lost an eye or something like Buffy the Vampire Slayer sort of did a little bit of this with the final season when uh, Xander, one of the main characters, actually loses an eye to the big bad, which really helps emphasize like (laughs) that, you know, spoiler alert for a, you know, 20 year old show guys, but that it happened. I, and, yeah, and yeah. these uh, that's fine. I like spoilers but you can you can do that like uh, here mm-hmm. they, they sort of he seems to want to have his cake and eat it too like oh this is very very dangerous but at, at the end of it everyone's always okay and I get you know he's trying to be more episodic it's, it's a different show and you have to take into account the kids and it's and a family show that's true but you surely you could do more than just have people wander around and clutch their stomach and only Jody Whittaker yeah. got that memo it seemed like everybody else all the other main cast are completely fine after the Sonic Mind, but Jodie Whittaker is the only one who actually shows up for that plot line because she, like again, I have high yeah. praise for Jodie Whitaker in this because she's great. She has some good lines, and she understood the assignment of that one. Someone told her early on, "You have to throughout this episode clutch your, you're you're in pain," and she got it. Yeah. Uh, I'll do it for the whole time. I'll do it. <clears throat>
1: It's it's yeah she sort of does it and uh, it's kind of emphasized at the start. Um, but yeah, you make a good point that it's like things get brought up and then quickly forgotten. Like the the TARDIS is back on the planet that kind of gets quickly forgotten. The TARDIS needed spare parts that's quickly forgotten. The sonic miners forgotten. The med tags why even mention med tags if it's not going to be said? Like got so mm. much to get through here. There are it is a small cast because there are not a lot of extras but everyone in the cast matters right you you've got to spend your time in the script getting round them explaining them making them feel real giving right. them a line of dialogue that just sort of makes them feel real and instead we just get questions at every point like why why have we you know uh, why have we forgotten about this why I, why I was surprised when the doctor like it's supposed to be a reveal that they're actually on a spaceship and not in a hospital yeah like i i, I don't, was really reading- think Yeah, the first time I watched that, I was like, I assumed they were on the spaceship. It looks like a spaceship.
0: Well, I also, like, uh, I was waiting for the moment where she goes, she opens the door to a massive observatory or some gigantic window, and you get the zoom out of of the external of the ship or something, and that just never happens. I mean, like, if you're going to do a big sort of special effects thing, like... Like I, I don't know, maybe that's too cliche, and maybe some people are rolling their eyes, and I might understand that. But it is like, if you're going to have a big reveal, make it big, make it a big moment, somehow. Like it's just kind of like, oh, okay.
1: There, there, is, there <laughs> is, there is, there a, is a very, very brief, a brief, uh, maybe a blink, and you miss it kind of moment of pulling back and and seeing the ship. But mm. also, like, yeah, I just why why was that even a doubt in my in my mind? Yeah. Well, just because you asked for med tags uh no no if it was a hospital there'd be way more staff walking around these here corridors um it okay. just doesn't feel and, and you've got to get over the the suspension of disbelief of like the 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 people who are all gathered here together it just happen to include yeah. like this famous general right
0: yeah um, why, that that was the one that made no sense like why is she even on this ship mm-hmm. you know like i mean if you have this condition that um you i mean i mean you guess maybe there might have been a blink and you miss a piece of dialogue that explains it but it seems like everyone else is sort of in a either urgent or an emergency situation whereas hers is sort of an ongoing condition so did she just hitch a ride i guess i mean is that the idea um i, I so silly i mean yeah, like i don't know like super, i mean she's just there because so she needs to be there I, i'm gonna get another quick pick in real quick just because we're talking about the beginning of the show okay if they're out for four days right mm-hmm. so ryan and graham they had time to shave or like like or did they just <laughs> get up i guess the doctor got the worst of it so maybe they've been up and about for longer and decided to have quickly shave but wouldn't they would their beards would have grown so
1: yeah, anyway. that is an excellent point, an excellent point. And I feel like that—that that is too often ignored. The, the beard growth in science fiction, uh, as, as time passes, is, is very, very often ignored. Uh, but Or maybe it's the fact that Brett Goldstein grew enough stubble for all of them. Uh, <laughs> that, that's sort of what he does. Um, yeah, It is what he does. Yeah, it's, so- it's Okay, I, I will counteract this with another nice thing. I'm going to throw in another yep. nice line of draw. I like the whole thing about the Book of Celebrants uh where Hmm. the doctor sort of fangirls a bit about eve cicero this this general and says oh hey you you're in the book of celebrants and she's like that's nothing but wait a minute the doctor that you're in the book of celebrants as well and the doctor's like oh no not no very very common name uh which i think (laughs) that was a lol line and and then uh yeah, you know, then she's you know ducks her head back around the door and be like, actually it was it was more than a, more of a volume than a chapter that I was in, which is just that, <laughs> yeah. that made That's the uh, the Doctor come alive for me in that moment. Yeah, very very Doctorish. It's like no 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 no, I'm I'm totally anonymous. I'm just blasting through the universe. Like don't pay attention to me. By the way, they wrote a whole book about me. Um, yeah i have yeah. gotta say like you know
0: we can <laughs> like, okay. every good thing almost that i have to say about this episode involves jody whitaker i mean i think she has mm. she and she's given good good she's served well by the script i mean clearly chibnall is really like chibnall wrote this one of course and it's his first series he's really trying to showcase his doctor he does a really good job here of that so i'm going to give episode points for that i think her stuff with astos um uh, which is Brett Brett Goldstein. He's really really great. Like that dialogue is great, and it has good moments. There's a great moment where she's just desperately trying to either get off the ship, stop the ship, turn around the ship, and he says, "You're going to endanger everyone here. I, it's my duty to keep them safe, and you're being selfish." And there's like the, everything about that moment is good. The music's good. There's a close up on Jodie Whitaker, and she's just like, "Oh my God, you're right." Like, and she she sincerely apologizes, which I think, oh. That's good. Mm. That's a good doctor moment. Mm. I like that. <clears throat> and then yeah. a little later when the sort of threat is starting to happen. And by the way, it takes way too long for that threat to happen. Cause initially like the old, there's no real danger. There's no real story. They just want to get back to the TARDIS. And, and until yep. the Pating sort of shows up there's, you're just kind of like, okay, what's, what's the story here. And uh, finally that happens. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and it but gives Pating
1: shows up halfway through. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: and it does give that moment again another great moment where he, with with Astos where she's like, "Um, I, why?" He's like, "Why am I trusting you?" And she says, "Oh, you're a bad liar, but you have great instincts." Uh, yeah, it's very again another very good Doctorish line. She delivers it perfectly. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's you know there's these surprising moments early on, and I, and in in a better story, I also like the undermining of that. You're like you're seeing these two get along, start to work together. You're liking both of them. Uh, and then it it undercuts that by killing them, which again, I'm not, I'm not necessarily slamming that decision. I like the unexpected nature of that. Uh, even though it, it, the script leaves you wanting more of that, it's like, okay, but the problem is nothing fills that vacuum after that. There's no yeah. storyline, character, or some other center other than Whitaker herself uh, and she's good enough to sort of carry the thing, but it's just, it's sort of the, the through line of the episode just sort of peters out after that. You just don't really have any focus. And then you have these sort of two or three different storylines that you really just don't care about. Yeah. <laughs> like, that was the only relationship yeah, I cared Astros. about. Her and
1: Astos. Astos is wasted. Uh, it's it, uh, just, yeah, it, it could have done so much good in the rest of the episode. Um, and yeah, we don't kind of care about the other storylines. But yeah, let, let's talk about the Pating. Let's talk about it. Oh, the God. I guess we have to. Um, we have to. And yeah. uh, there's been a deliberate decision here to make the Pating a, a comic character, whereas mm. the rest of the vibe is kind of horror movie. And it, it also is a very odd choice, stacked atop a pile of very odd choices um, hmm. to make it a comedy character. And, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. It sort of, it, it, reminded me of, um, a creature from like a fantastic beasts movie, you know, it, it definitely had that feel to it and it's sort yeah. of cute. Like nobody mentions that it's cute and they're all kind of horrified right? by it. Well, um, I, yeah.
0: I, I wonder if that decision to make it that cute came later, you know what I mean? Cause it's a CGI thing. Obviously it was yeah. mostly done in post, but you're dead on. It's, it's this bizarre choice uh, and and here's where I feel like this is a bad copy of a Red Dwarf episode, uh, which is kind of my way of mm-hmm. saying Red Dwarf did this better with the polymorph. Yes. You know, and it, again, that was mm. uh, Red Dwarf is always played for comedy. Uh, but that that idea of something that can be scary in its ability and potentially scary in its appearance, but played for laughs sometimes, I think... You know it can work I, I kind of get kind of what they were trying to do but uh it, it, you know whether it was the left hand not really knowing what the right hand was doing in terms of uh production versus script uh or just clumsiness laziness like the pating it, you're just like what you're just confused about like what am I supposed to think here <laughs> like um and I'll get and my it's pick supposed in. to be this yeah.
1: ultimate Danger, right? Yeah. It's supposed to be. It is kind of renowned, and that there is a brief moment. I don't know if you uh, saw it. That there's like a a flash of like a Dalek, and then an Ood uh as as they go sort of through the briefing notes to get to the Mm -hmm. meeting and what it could do to the ship like it's supposed to be in in that category of of character like why even bring those up as comparisons if you're gonna have this weird cutesy little looking thing well
0: and this is where where my pick is is like it makes no Mm. physical sense like it's it's shown to Mm. be eating things far larger than it um yes it's it's uh, you know, like it, it eats a bomb and it goes off in its stomach and all it does is glow. Now, okay, I, I, I will step back and say like, I, I understand the super overpowered monsters are not uncommon in, in fiction, mm-hmm. right? Like you mm-hmm. can even just look at do- Dungeons and Dragons or, or you know, yes. whatever, you know, like you have insane uh, armor and power in some of these these godlike monsters. It happens. But I mean, usually there's there's some some like weight to a story that involves these things, right? It's not just Mm. this rando one-off thing that just feels really, really unearned. And, you know, this is usually like the, the big boss, the super boss level monster that can do this kind of thing. Like, think about it, like this bomb, like Daleks are powerful, but like a bomb would destroy one, (laughs) you know? And then, you know, that you, you have to like have these things defeatable Mm. on some level. And I guess in this case, you know there's there's kind of an interesting intellectual exercise of like oh we can't kill it so what can we do to it and i guess the idea is oh if you give it enough energy it'll just get tired and take a nap or something um which is okay-ish but uh i don't know i'm just at that point i was just like really taken out of it by the whole thing many contradictions of the pating that i just kind of didn't care
1: yeah, on top of the many contradictions of the episode so far, it's just you know at a certain point your your suspension of disbelief vanishes, right? You know, you've just been too many contradictions in the in the story. This definitely qualifies. Uh, but the thing is especially weird to have this cartoonish villain uh, eating an anti matter bomb, basically hmm. is what it is. Because what has happened just before is like Doctor Who has has done the most. Hey kids, let's talk about science moment. That mm. I think I've ever seen in the entire show, like That's when Whitaker like almost, marvels
0: at at the at the drive. Yeah.
1: Yes, and and you know Yaz comes in talks about having understanding what CERN is, right? Mm. And and the doctor's like, yeah, this is like CERN but the iPhone version. Um, and it's like, okay, you know, hey, <laughs> hey, kids, let's learn about antimatter. Let's learn about positrons. It is all actually good science as yeah. opposed to a previous doctor who experiments with antimatter where has not re- even really been mentioned. Um, by the way, you would think that the doctor would mention the the one companion that that she lost long ago uh, on an antimatter ship that crashed into earth, um, especially mm. since Adric's name was derived from, uh, I forget the the scientist that Adric was named after. It's basically a, um, what it would call you? You switch around the letters in the name uh, with, with one of the scientists who who first discovered antimatter. So it was a, mm. it was a very uh, kind of uh, you know. Eh, no, I, I don't mind them not for, for that reason as It'd well. it would be a little extraneous. Um, yeah, but anyway, so it's, it's clearly an episode is like, hey kids, you should you should get into antimatter. This is <laughs> going to be a thing in your future, and here's what it's going to look like by the sixty seventh century. You know, so to go from that, like we're being super sciency, to an antimatter bomb just exploded in the Pating's cartoonish stomach, it's just yeah, it's a tonal mismatch too far.
0: Well, it's also like at this point in the script, like I, I do appreciate the idea of grounding us uh, in real science and why this is amazing. Like in other words, like you know, Star Trek so rarely does this because they're so casual about their uh, warp warp drives, but it is like to to have the doctor who has the perspective of all of history marvel at the technology and the ability to capture the science in something. I, I actually don't mind that. I thought that that as a standalone moment is good. My problem is that I think it makes no sense from a pacing and script perspective because we're at this sort of urgent. Time where there's a pating and there's a the, the alerts that then the med- medical base is going to blow up the ship remotely and all this stuff, and she's taken a minute to just like almost put her hands on her hips. Wow, look at this! So oh, everyone, stomp and <laughs> think for a second about how great this is. And it's like it's a little. It's I get it. It's a little bit doctorish. It's educational, but it's also like, no, nah, nah, you should have done that like twenty minutes earlier if you're going to do that at all. Okay, like yeah. it does it, it makes no sense that she's doing this right now. Um so that that was my big issue with it and then i'm just going to add like as again i again this is picking the pating again but i I think it merits more because of this contradiction like how could as powerful as it is how could it possibly resist antimatter how could it possibly Mm -hmm. it's made of matter isn't it (laughs) like it's it it would would not antimatter destroy this thing it it might be the only thing that could destroy but like Look up antimatter. I mean, you just talked about it. Like, exactly. it destroys matter on contact. Doesn't matter what the matter is, whether it's a pating or a bowl of water, right? Like, it's just going to d- annihilate it. I, how can it possibly survive? I'm sorry. I'm just. I'm just yeah. <laughs>
1: Well I, I will I will praise the and Kodotrop for the antimatter thing because we've so recently been to Kill the Moon, uh, which was so resolutely anti science. Yeah. But like at least just but but the, the Pating moment is kill the moonish <laughs> for yeah, that reason. Very. Because you put us in a science mindset. So just pick one lane and stick to it. If we're gonna mm. be science y, let's let's have a hard science fiction episode, which this easily could have been. Yeah. Um so you know, so listen. And, or if you're going cartoony, <laughs> don't. Yeah, so
0: so I think we do have to talk about the male pregnancy storyline, um, <laughs> which I think th- needs a preface. And I think I need to preface it like, you know, there's there's obviously like a lot of culture war stuff about gender issues today. And I feel like this kind of storyline is very difficult to evaluate in that context, right? Like everyone mm-hmm. comes to a storyline like that with their own preconceived politics and will have opinions on it, and that's OK, but I think as we think about it, like, we really need to sort of make an effort to put that aside and try to judge it on the merits of, of what it is, right? Um, so what it is, and I missed this the first time, uh, but I'm glad I, I looked it up because it does soften a little bit of what I just talked about. Yoss is right. explicitly an alien. Now, yes. he doesn't look alien. I think it's called a gifton or, or something like gif, that.
1: Gif, yes, gifton.
0: And he's an alien, so it's an alien species. They have different pregnancies. Uh, they didn't make him look alien. Now, that's not unusual in Doctor Who. The Doctor's an alien and looks very, very human. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So here I'm a little un- con- not confused. I'm just unsure why they made that call. So if you made him look more alien, I think you would have taken it a little more out of uh, people's yeah. sort of headspace in terms of culture or politics. Um, but exactly. maybe that obfuscation is the point so that you maybe they did want to do that i don't know i, I, I don't want to get too into any kind of like this is why people accuse chibnall of being woke or whatever but it does feel a little bit like that i don't really want to slide into too much of a discussion on that but it's hard to in, in storylines like this um so i'll preface i'll, I'll stop there on my yeah, sort of yeah. preface into it i want to get your thoughts on that and then let's just evaluate the yeah. structure uh, the the, the storyline itself.
1: Yeah, two two problems with uh, with the, us, uh, the gift the Um First of all, it's not just that they make him look human; it's that they make him look like Ed Sheeran, uh, <laughs> which is just could not shake that image from my head. Ed Sheeran is pregnant. Oh my god! Um, but also, like they kind of cop out at the end when when he's giving birth. Uh, but they explain it's basically a C-section, right? Right. So we're saying that that's normally how male pregnancies are delivered. Um Well, in this species, uh, with I guess. hands, like it just. Yeah, and there's this whole thing about the the sac, the belly has no like pain centers, so they can slice right open. But like, is that how evolution designed them to slice each other open mm-hmm. to get to get their male children out? Like, it's a nice that uh, males only give birth to males females only give birth to f- females and like giftown has a little bit of sort of uh uh blinkered almost racism of of his own right <laughs> of, of like mm-hmm. what you you don't like men don't give birth to men on your planet that's weird um yeah <laughs> like, w- which i wow, thought was insensitivity nice sort nice you know, of commentary yeah. on like yeah we 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 sort of just don't really yeah yeah so you know it's obviously it is uh, a vehicle for for ryan to yeah. uh talk about his issues with his own dad but that again gives us another moment that kind of stops the action where right. ryan just sort of stops in the middle of it is it where they're trying to find the pating and he just suddenly stops and has a discussion with yaz about his issues with his father
0: yeah, which is which is a good scene. My problem is, I think that should have been handled differently because he essentially says mm-hmm. maybe one, maybe two things to a Yoss, and suddenly Yoss is mm-hmm. down, reasonably down, I guess, for being a dad. Uh, and again, I I don't like where that mm-hmm. goes because one, even though I think it is a good storyline structurally for Ryan, um, I want you know you want him mm-hmm. to sort of make some peace with himself and then try to do some good in the world with his sort of the wisdom that he's found from that. Uh, I would like him to do that mm. in front of the character it matters to, which is to say, Yas. right? Like right? he has this discussion with Yaz in the hallway when it's like, I think that would have been way better handled if he has the discussion with Yass and allow Yaz to watch it so that Yaz can thus yes. have that connection. But it actually makes much more sense in the storyline that yas comes around based on ryan really being vulnerable and authentic with him that would have been good Mm. um in this case they sort of separate them out and you're just kind of like it's it's much less than the sum of its parts
1: yeah and not only does that sort of waste time in an episode that has no time to spare like too too many storylines to follow too many people to introduce etc etc um but it also yeah it just it doesn't seem in character for Ryan who's like kind of a little bit reticent with his TARDIS crew like we saw Revolution of the Daleks his last story um, the fact that uh, he, he just couldn't talk to them or the, the doctor about like how he didn't want to to travel on at mm, that point like right that, that's sort of part of his deal and we've we've talked about uh, Ryan's story arc. We talked. We've we've seen the episodes that serve him really well. Right, Rosa and the Witchfinders. He he had a really. He definitely. Uh, appears a lot better on kind of second viewing of, of these episodes. This one, Sarangadhandram, I think, points out how Ryan was ill-served and his storyline was ill-served by Doctor Who as well, mm. because there's definitely a storyline here, and it's it, it is obviously followed through in, in resolution. His whole relationship with his dad, how right. complicated it is, and it just doesn't have room um, mm-hmm. to to breathe in this. And yeah, the, the way that talking to Yaz about it is a strange choice because he's supposed to be kind of like, he's a little bit sweet on Yaz in, in some of these episodes. So like, you know, yeah. he, he kind of, he's, he's wrestling about talking about anything in front of her that, that kind of makes him look bad, you know? Um, and uh, yeah, yeah, so this doesn't, don't believe this is, this is a waste of time. It's a waste of a scene. It, it stops the action in the middle of what is supposed to be action. And yeah, as you say, much better served if he just said it all to Yaz. Uh, and then he would have that revelation himself in that moment that it's reminding him of his father. That's all you need. Yeah. And that's what I think, how I think RTD would have done it. And that's the, the magic formula that Chibnall is looking for. And he just keeps getting in his own way.
0: Yeah. And it's, it does not help that it's the B plot and you kind of inherent. like, I don't really care about any of the plots at this point in the story, but I mean that you sort of, in, at least you're a little bit invested in what happens with the Peting and, uh, I think it's just not served well that he's just kind of sidelined, um, and that is kind of a mm. <clears throat> interesting side effect of the pregnancy storyline, which is that it sidelines Ryan and Graham. And I listened to the commentary on this one in on the Blu-ray, and I think it was Nikki Wilson, uh, one of the producers, who pointed out the sort of cl- uh, what she I sort of thought I think of was a clever reversal of. What it does is it sidelines the male characters who are now have to help deliver a baby. And then the female characters have to sort of solve the immediate action problem and plot. Um, Hmm. Again, I I guess there's a, you, you know, again, I don't want to get too political about anything, but it's like depending on your politics, you might think that's really satisfying or you just might think it's just a fact. Uh, and it's like okay Mm. and it is just a fact ultimately even if you do have this reversal doesn't make any of those storylines good (laughs) Like it's just it's just you know the girls are doing one thing and the boys are doing another and here's what i would also argue i would say that in most fiction beyond even just science fiction uh this this isn't actually going against expectation usually you the, Mm. the whole point of a sort of emergency pregnancy and to make it interesting is to get sort of a fish out of water thing and I can certainly think of times I've seen male characters that need to deliver a baby because that whatever the audio, the preconceived notions of what the audience expectations are, that's definitely happened. Like just off the top of my head, Hmm. like Worf in star Trek, the next generation has to deliver Keiko's baby in uh, an episode. And it's like, Oh wow. He's just this stoic, a person, the Klingon with no, you know, bedside manner and he's got kind of like, oh, that's that's kind of funny. And it's like, okay, fair enough. You know, a little bit is, it kind of worked. Um, but I I feel like that happens a lot. You know, like I don't I don't think this is undermining yeah. much in the way of expectations. It's just uh it's just a thing. Yeah. You know, that it's a trope almost at this point.
1: And talk about undermining expectations. I mean we've just been talking about all these areas where tribunal is like uh almost arguing against himself or like having weird tonal changes. Uh, a weird thing happens to me. I know it was supposed to be a joke that, that Graham has watched every episode of call the midwife. And, right. uh, and so he thinks he's ready to be a midwife, but then he like can't actually stand looking at this. Like, how did he think that was going to go when he made that proud boast? Mm. Like, that just doesn't ring true to me at all. If you're going to bring up the call the midwife thing, have have it mean something, not just that Graham is, a, a hypocrite i guess or doesn't know himself like what, what is even the joke here
0: yeah it reminded me think. of that moment in uh orphan 55 where he jokes about his speedos mm-hmm. which actually does work just because it's so funny it's a really funny joke but here it's not as funny and it's just graham putting in the line because the script needs someone to say the line and it doesn't seem to really fit with the character. You're just like, okay, I guess mm-hmm. guess he did that thing uh, and watch that yeah. show because the, there's a thing here that uh, demands we retroactively put this into Graham's history. Okay, sure.
1: Yep. Yeah, why not? But yeah, you're you're absolutely right that that science fiction is, is just way ahead of the game on this, and like it really could have been. It it didn't subvert expectations at all. Like we, you know, we we've been, you know, when was the Left Hand of Darkness, the Ursula Le Guin book, where uh, where characters change change gender throughout? That was like late '60s. Like we we've had this trope for a long time. Um, mm-hmm. you know, of, of, you know, alien races, like, you know, gender can be different, uh, right. you know, sex can be different. Uh, pregnancy can be different. It's yeah, it's absolutely not, not negative expectations at all. Uh, and I, I feel like, like this didn't may maybe tribunal thought he was going to piggyback on some culture war stuff by, by having this scene. And it instead yeah. it's just sort of like, uh, yeah man is pregnant okay got well
0: it. i know, i'll say it again red dwarf did it better and again different era yep. culture war was not really uh, concerned with this yeah. kind of stuff but um when when lister has his twins and you know gets pregnant yes. and stuff it's like that that was funny and and you know subverting expectation and doing lots of uh, interesting yeah. things with it honestly whereas here it's I'm just i'm really, really eh.
1: i'm glad you brought up red dwarf because i think you you're right that thinking about it this is an excellent example of like Red Dwarf knows how to do comedy, obviously, but they also know that to play off against the comedy, the science fiction has to be kind of serious. Mm-hmm. It has to be like almost yep. a serious science fiction threat in every episode. And what I love about Red Dwarf, I love the early seasons, especially because it does, you do sort of feel the, uh, the problem of being like trapped on a ship that's nearly at light speed. And you get this the sort of the weird time dilation issues. Oh, yeah. and, uh, you know the future echoes and stuff like that. It always had a kind of a, you know, sad kind of lonely space vibe to me. Totally, it was almost accentuated by the comedy, right? Because the comedy yeah. there always felt like a bit of like laughing in the darkness. And then they, you know, once they introduced Crichton, I feel like it got a bit too, too yeah. madcap sitcom. Got a little more right? sitcomy for sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: No, yeah. Red uh, dwarf, but, yeah. dwarf knew what it was doing. I mean, that's the thing. It knew what it was doing, where I think this story yeah. very clearly does not. Uh it doesn't know if it wants to be a comedy, doesn't know what storyline to focus on, doesn't really know how to make these characters resonate. I think it's pretty telling. We've we've barely talked about the brother of the great general. I don't even I don't even yes. know if we mentioned until now. or oh, and 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 her, the general's android assistant. So a couple of characters that are in it. the episode, mm-hmm. uh, but <laughs> mm-hmm. only sort of uh, superficially like uh, I'll start with the Android because the criticism is easier. So the Android, mm. I, I don't know why they chose to Ronan. have to be an Android Ronan. It mm. seems to me the only reason to make this character an Android is to challenge the actor, not to blink. Uh, there's <laughs> no moment whatsoever where the fact that the character is an Android is used in an interesting way, like that. some feat yep. of superhuman strength, some feat of superhuman computation ability, uh, the ability to, say, remove a limb or or something like that that, that could be useful in mm-hmm. some situation. There is a mention made of, like, I forget what it is even, but, like, the Pating either isn't or is attracted to him because he's an android or whatever. Um, I don't think that's even, even really used because the point where they pull out the stasers and why do they say Stasers, by the way? Why why use it, reuse the name <laughs> of the weapons of Gallifrey? I don't know why you would do that. Chris Chibnall, are you a fan or aren't you? Okay, but aside from that, like I don't think he really does anything. Like it's just a completely wasted,
1: wasted character and wasted idea that yeah, right? he's an android. Yeah. And and it, it gets we get uh, thrown in, thrown in at the end. We we get uh Dirkus sort of, uh, who's the, the brother, Dirkus Cicero apologizing to Ronan mm-hmm. for like, we, we've just learned that Ronan is going to get deactivated, which might be the first thing that we care about him, but it's suddenly thrown in at the end. And then Dirkus is like, I'm, I'm sorry. I was a bit mean to you. Um, and the androids like, yeah. And then, <laughs> and then the android kind of leads this ceremony where they all kind of repeat the words. Uh, for uh, for for this character, we don't really care about. Like, it's so, it's so yeah. weird a choice. Like, it's almost like Chibnall had to pack it. He's like, oh, I haven't mentioned these characters much. Let's pack in some attempted emotional wallop right there at the end. But by that point, you just don't care.
0: Yeah, I totally didn't and care. like,
1: and, yeah. like- the, the android's getting deactivated, but he he gives the benediction. I guess, uh, weird choice
0: why are they deactivating the android like don't yeah. do they not recycle <laughs> in the 67th century like also you know this is the thing yeah. i mean again i don't i don't think every single piece of science fiction that features androids and robots has to go into uh, existential examinations like the way star trek is done with data and whatnot um if you're thinking about it like i I, if he's is he sentient or isn't he and if he is then i don't think that's a good thing to do and if he isn't um fair enough but have some more implication of a little more world building here of of you know what that is and how that means what it means to the characters um so moving on to the brother a little bit durkis like again i I had very little to say about him because i didn't really follow what his issues were. Uh, And the only thing that really strikes me about his whole storyline is that he takes over for his sister at the end, which gets me to wonder, well, why didn't you just do the whole thing in the first place? So she didn't have to like have a heart attack and die. Um, I guess I could sort of... Maybe it's mentioned, maybe there's some head... I could, you know, maybe the asteroids got easier as you got through them, but it's also like... (laughs) If it was that it's easy, like what's going on? It's the reverse
1: yeah. of Asteroids, the video game. Uh, where it gets easier <laughs> in, in later levels. Um, yeah, the, the number one weird decision with Dirk the brother uh, is to dress him in essentially 21st century clothes, right? Uh, or yeah. you know, or late late 20th century, like which is we're supposed to be in the 67th century here. He for some reason is the only character who's like in jeans and a shirt. So visually it reads as if he's come from our world, but there's, there's no, like, if you're going to do that, throw in a line about how he, he just, Oh, and you always wear those really old fashioned, you know, yeah, clothes. Or something super like that. retro. <laughs> yeah. Like have that be an actual plot point that's mentioned or don't do it. Like have him dress 67th century. And by the way, why the 67th? Yeah. Um, I, I do like the Doctor throwing in the, the whole sort of potted history of the 67th century of, you know, gets a bit rough in the middle, all turns out all right in the end. Um, yeah. It's, I, it's I, not I do kind diesel-wide. of have a historical theory that All centuries get a bit rough in the middle. Um, (laughs) Oh yeah, Mm. but uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, (laughs) Don't jinx it. Yikes! (laughs) Um, I know, right? (laughs) Come, come back to me in the 2030s. We'll see where we're at. Well,
0: according to Kill the Moon, it gets really dicey in the middle. So, (laughs) Mm. (laughs) Um,
1: yeah. But yeah, why 67th? Why not? Why not 50th? The Doctor loves the 50th, or the 51st centuries. Yeah, I know. I I
0: don't know if this was an attempt. I, I, again, Chris Chibnall apparently just made it up as he went along, so I don't know if he had any plans here. I don't mind the idea of saying like, okay, I'm going to put a stake in the ground on another future era because I want to do completely different things than what we've already established the 50th century is. Um that's okay, uh-huh. except he doesn't he never comes back to this, right? Like if you're going to world build like Use your, the world you're building. Um, I think yeah. maybe it was like this. I know, you know, <laughs> we're doing it now. We're giving this episode such bad reviews that maybe he just decided to abandon it and uh, do other mm-hmm. stuff. Um, anyway, the issue is, I mean, you know, there's, again, with, with the way Chibnall approached the show, apparently just making it up there, he didn't have a a world of his own whatever it is that he really wanted to flesh out apart from mm. a couple of storylines, like the timeless Trap.
1: Yeah. I, I, I am starting to wonder about, about Chibnall and, and what I'm starting to wonder is kind of a thing. I, I would never normally say about a writer, but he's this episode in particular. And, and as we're going through it, thinking of all the, the threads that have been dropped mm. and the weird decisions made, does Chibnall do second drafts or third drafts or fourth drafts? Does he even have the concept or is it that he's Ed Wood? Like, you right. know. <laughs> one take in, Chibnall. It, from the great movie. Exactly. One take. <laughs> cut. Print it. It's beautiful. It's great. You know, but like with his own scripts. Um, yeah. Is 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 that the thing? Is he just not, does he not have the faculty of of being self-critical enough about his own early drafts? Um, because it is kind of like when you would gave this, if you give this script a close read, it's got to, these problems have got to pop out at the script stage, surely.
0: Yeah. I mean, all, all I can speculate, it all, it's all speculation. I mean, he, you know, you sort of look at Broadchurch and you think, okay, that was great. Uh, he could clearly handled complex characters, a long storyline, all this stuff. Um, but here, either he's making deliberate choices not to do that and sort of challenging himself as yeah. a sort of a creative exercise to do something much more episodic and much more seat of the pants. Or, I mean, again, all speculative. I don't know anything about behind the scenes stuff on Broadchurch, but did he just have a lot of help on Broadchurch? You know, did he have someone who was uh, getting him to stick to deadlines and uh, making him do those second drafts and thinking more about the world yeah. he was building? Maybe. I don't know. Uh, but I, I clearly, he either didn't have that help here or if he did he chose to deliberately do something much more fragmented
1: well maybe it's it's the science fiction that that ties him up you know Hmm. it's like Broadchurch is great because it has no science fiction elements to it, right? He can just yeah. totally focus on the story and the characters and developing this plot line with ha- having to throw in these concepts. And that, that does seem to stop it. Like throw, let's throw in an anti-matter speech here. Let's throw in a sonic mind there. Let's, you know, sci-fi yeah. concepts are whizzing past my ears. Let's shove them all into the script. And that worked for Moffat. Surely it'll work for me. Um, you know, and yeah. again, he, he sort of, Feels like he's taking the science fictionness from from Moffat, the, the throw in tons of concepts and the attempt at sort of science fiction comedy from RTD, uh, like clearly drawn characters from RTD. And he's not really succeeding on either front.
0: No. And if anything, our discussion here, I think, is showing is science fiction is hard, man. Like, I think it's too often thought like, oh, yeah, you can just put in some silly costumes and you can kind of do whatever you want and just make it up because you know who knows what the future is and it's like actually (laughs) it is entirely not that simple and you you actually have to think more about uh, the the strange worlds you can do strange stuff but it has to make some kind of sense in whatever world you're trying to build and that is harder because you don't you can't fall back just on the familiarity of the real world and the universal language that we all have of encountering it you've got to build all of that on your own in your story and has to make some kind of logical sense within that story and at some point that got all disrupted uh in this story and arguably in his era
1: yeah and you know if you can't even manage a a logical consistency within a story at least logical consistency within a a scene (laughs) at least at least let's start with that you know maybe we can sort of just take it scene by scene and You know, watch it in the way that I had to watch Kill the Moon, which is five minutes at a time, and then we'll we'll forget the previous scenes. We'll we'll not notice the inconsistencies. Speaking Uh, of inconsistencies,
0: did you think I didn't even catch this? I had to read it in a plot summary. They talk about the teleport that they're going to use to get back to that planet. Yeah, which makes you think. Well, could you not have teleported from that planet and and just gone to the medical base in the first place? Why did we even have to have a story like?
1: And it wasn't entirely clear that the teleport was going to work to take the doctor back to the junkyard planet. Like is yeah. is it that specific? Can it and, and well that's what I thought it was. Work? Like if it can yeah. yeah. If it yeah. can do that and you're if it doing can beam this you across space.
0: Like why yeah. why aren't people just doing that? <laughs> why do ships even exist? It's like, <laughs> I mean, it's like pretty cool technology there, sixty seventh century, but uh yeah, kind of undermines the entire script.
1: Oh yeah, and Tim, then go, should of we should course, we the whole <clears throat> yeah. the whole problem with teleports which we won't even get to you know um the <laughs> the destruction of the body and recreation at the other end etc etc but yes i think i yes. think we're done tearing apart the Saranga.
0: yeah uh, unfortunately we still have questions and those are of <laughs> course the four questions to doomsday first question why did the randomizer take us here
1: well, there's there's the junkyard connection, right? Uh, <laughs> Easy. It definitely took us from a good junkyard episode to a bad junkyard episode. Um, but also, I, I'm going to mention a, a very weird connection, which suggests that this this may not have been for us after all. Which is that um, uh, my wife and I we we watch uh, Ted Lasso, and uh, after watching the episode this week. And uh, my wife went and looked up Brett Goldstein on Wikipedia. She was curious about him, And it notes that he was in Doctor Who. And she was curious about oh, watch episode is he did. Didn't actually have the time as we don't have time for all of our Google searches. It was just a thing tickling at the back of her brain. And so as she happens to be standing in front of the TV, as I fire up the Saranga conundrum, she didn't want to watch this one, by the way. <laughs> even, with um, oh, uh, even with Brett Goldstein. oh he, man, Even with Brett Goldstein. But he's there in like the first three minutes. And so like, that's all she needs to know. She's like, okay job done problem solved yeah. so i would like to suggest that the randomizer somehow uh she she tapped into oh and and by the way this this was on uh, 420 uh you know <laughs> which is highly celebrated here in the bay area so she feels she may have pierced sort of the the time space barrier in her mind and kind of gone back in time and uh you know changed the randomizer's decision about where to send us specifically so she could have this question answered so uh yeah A little bit scared that the randomizer is being used by other people. But hey, you listeners could maybe use the randomizer as well. If there's something you're wondering about, what Doctor Who episode did X happen in? Uh, Just think really hard, or to quote Amy Pond, wish really hard at the randomizer, (laughs) and it will take us there next.
0: That all makes sense. I definitely had the Junkyard connection as well. Junkyard to Junkyard. Um, The other thing is that, as you recall, uh, I asked for a TARDIS heavy episode two times ago, took Mm. us to the doctor's wife, the most TARDIS heavy episode you could possibly do. Uh, I think this might be uh, simply recoiling at the TARDIS presence from that one and saying, like, okay, let's do something (laughs) with the TARDIS basically absent. Uh, very so, Tardis light uh,
1: from from actually, the Doctor who has uh, lost the Tardis the most.
0: Yeah, I can't even remember. Do you even see the Tardis in those early scenes? Is it in, like in the background you or do. something? Yeah. Okay. It's, so at least you yeah, see it for a very, second.
1: Very opening scene, and yeah. you see it, and you pan down to the junkyard, and and then you don't see it again. Yeah, and that's it. Yeah, very Tardis light.
0: Okay. Super TARDIS light. Moving on to this. And it's like
1: TARDIS without the parts that they're trying to find at the TARDIS as well. So it's another another thing. We know Uh, that the randomizer loves episodes where TARDIS parts are lost or taken out or removed. And we've been to time flight and Frontiers and all of that. The randomizer loves it when the TARDIS is stripped to bits.
0: Well, that might be why they went to this junkyard because of the Mm. stuff he jettisoned in The Doctor's Wife. He maybe got rid of an old storage room with a lot of mm. spare parts. And it's like, oh, well, we got to fill that up again. All right. I love it. Yeah, that's a... Great. <laughs> not an evil plot. That's kind of a mundane plot. But what if the evil plot in this episode had succeeded? Okay, so what's the evil plot? Okay, Is it... So, uh, got to be the Pating, right? I mean, yeah. right? So the pating, I mean, this is pretty straightforward, isn't it? It it just
1: eats the ship, (laughs) and then we're done. Everybody
0: dies.
1: (laughs) Yes, it eats the ship. Everybody dies in the cold vacuum of space. But it's not even—it's not even an evil plot. i I would say this—this episode does not have an evil plot. The pating's just being a pating man. Yeah, it's just trying to live. It's just doing its pating thing.
0: Yeah, it's true. It's not evil. Um, is there anyone who is evil?
1: I mean, the brother's kind of a jerk, but he's not evil. Um, yeah, he just cares too much. The yeah. general's kind of a kind of a strung out uh, uh, person, but you know, needs adrenaline blockers. But I uh, so what? I yeah, no, no suppose, whoever left the Sonic Mine
0: was an evil person, and that was an evil plot, and it did succeed the sonic mind went off and it scrambled the insides mm. of the people that it was close to so
1: <coughs> maybe there the evil it is. is yoss's yoss's plot to give away his baby
0: uh, sounds a little judgmental <laughs> to consider that evil uh <laughs> i guess, I guess. no nah, i think i have to go with the batting it's very straightforward <laughs> they all die and that honestly the straightforwardness of the evil plot succeeding here I think is indicative of just how lame the overall story is. It's like, okay. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Pretty but we, we can, we could speculate on whether the, the the doctor then regenerates in the cold of space. Um, yeah, uh, I or, guess. Yeah. I mean, my view yeah, in that is that okay. it,
0: she just dies. I mean, cause yeah. you can only like, you just keep regenerating until you run out because who's coming to save you. Um, unless it's like
1: one of those yeah. ghost monument situations, but um Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. evil plot succeeds. A Doctor Who ends not with a bang, but with a whimper. Mm.
0: Okay, moving on to question three. Where is
1: the Clara Splinter? Got a theory on this? Uh, Clara Oswald splintered in time at the end of The Name of the Doctor. Um, Oh, yeah, I guess we we should explain. (laughs) (laughs) You know the deal with You know the story. She's in every episode. She's in every she
0: Even though Name of the Doctor is chronologically in the past at this point, we do like yeah. to imagine she's splintered forward as well, because why wouldn't she be? Throughout the Doctor's timeline yeah. is throughout the Doctor's timeline. It is what it is. So she's got to be here I, somewhere,
1: even though the cast is really, really small. <laughs> she's off screen somewhere. I mm. think Clara. this particular Clara Oswald has been selling Hamilton tickets to the Doctor. Um, ah, making a tidy profit. Because, of course, we do mention, we get a mention of Hamilton for the first, yes. and I believe, only time in Doctor Who history. Uh Because Yaz comes up with a number of 51, happens to be the number of Federalist papers that Hamilton wrote. As we all know from the show, Hamilton wrote the other 51, uh, as Burr shouts at some point. Yeah, so uh, the Doctor says she's seen all 900 casts. So... <laughs> I got to think Clara Oswald is some sort of uh, time time travel theater agent who just will sell sell you a, a block book ticket to like here you know here are your tickets to all nine hundred casts of Hamilton. Um, yeah, well, you know, prob- probably ignoring that there's a nine hundred first somewhere. No, nine hundred. <laughs> we'll just stop there. We'll Putting aside rule one, I mean.
0: Even the doctor? Are you just like a super fan of Hamilton? I mean, have you seen other shows that many times, like Les Mis or whatever? That's a lot of times. That's a lot of, uh, a lot of times. time in the theater.
1: Although I have to say, around about this time, well, okay, two years before this episode aired in 2016, uh, I was so super into Hamilton, I would have, I would have done that. I would have seen all 900 casts. Uh, I, I really. I had a serious Hamilton addiction in the early days. Was,
0: oh, you and my daughter have a lot to talk happened. about next time you <laughs> drop by. Um, yeah, my daughter loves Hamilton; she's super into it. We actually went to see it uh, on Broadway finally as a family. Uh, I love it. We'll, a few months ago, and it, it was yeah. amazing. She had a great time.
1: We'll do Hamilton karaoke uh, next. Oh time. yeah, big fan of that.
0: The room where it happened. Um, so my theory <laughs> is that. Clara is basically keeping scavengers away from the TARDIS on the junk planet, so that uh, it's there waiting for them when the Doctor comes back. Um, and I'll just sort of again, I, I this is probably an unfair slam on the episode. I think everything, almost everything we said already is is been fair. Uh, but this one, I will just throw in for good measure: in that there's a missed opportunity that uh, just by having to be a teleport. Um, and I felt sort of this way also in the ghost monument, like this idea of like, oh, the TARDIS is missing and We got to hunt for it, uh, and spend probably some time and some adventures doing that isn't bad. Uh, I wouldn't have minded seeing sort of like a part, not really a part two to this, I guess, Mm. but, but like another story where they have to go back and they're, they have to, something's happened to the TARDIS. Someone's taken it and there's a whole story about getting the TARDIS back and I don't know whatever it is make up whatever you want <laughs> maybe it's a poker game um maybe it's something even more elaborate who knows but that could be a fun thing to do and instead we just go right to Demons of the Punjab now that said yes do do the stories that you want to do but I do feel like twice in this season they miss an opportunity to do something a little bit fun with clear stakes and they just didn't bother
1: mm-hmm yeah, it would be hard to do another TARDIS Lost episode so soon after Ghost Monument, um, but... Uh, oh, I just, I'm yeah, sort of counting Ghost Monument as barely that in some
0: ways, though, you know? Mm, like, mm. Um, it seems like that's what they were trying to do with teasing it and The women Who Fell to Earth, and then I feel like the Ghost Monument really didn't pay it off. Um, but yeah, I, I guess that's fair in that, you know, you you wouldn't do it twice, but I would say, like, in both cases, in one case it doesn't really work, and in the second case they just don't do anything. Um, I don't know. Maybe that again. That, I did preface it; it's probably an unfair criticism, but I I, I like that idea of like this. The basic structure of the show is now uh of of further than an arm's length away from me, and that becomes a problem I have to solve. Uh, I think they could mind that uh, mm. again at some point. Uh, go for it, Shooty. Go for it. RTD. Call me. <laughs>
1: yeah yeah absolutely we we did actually mention this last week right the the notion that they could go red dwarf and yeah. uh, kind of just lose the TARDIS for a whole season uh, pretty cool idea um, alright well I, I think it might be time to deliver our verdicts.
0: yep it is time what now what's the fourth the, question the final question the only question the only question that matters to the Saranga conundrum What did we think of it? The Pulte Open rating system has five ratings. There is the Dalek, which we reserve for a good episode of Doctor Who. The Ogron, which we reserve for a not so good episode of Doctor Who. Professor Hater, which is a not so good episode, but at least they tried something. At least we learned something. The Viscount Banger, which we reserve for the best of the best. And the rarely used, although recently used, Fixed Point in Time, uh, where it is an episode we simply cannot rate, usually for reasons of nostalgia, but sometimes mm. for other reasons, uh, as it was, as was the case with the doctor's wife, with one of us. Um, so I'll go yeah. first this time, because <laughs> I think it will surprise absolutely <laughs> no one yep. who's been listening for the past hour or so, that I'm rating this a big, stinky ogron. Uh, I think this is it might be the worst episode of Doctor Who ever made. I really just don't care about any of it. Uh, again, I had a few things to say that were nice about Jodie Whittaker and some of this stuff early on and, and some of the choices she made. Uh, but considering I watched it twice, uh, three times if you count the Ooh. the commentary. Uh and I still had mm-hmm. to read plot summaries to fill in big parts of the plot to understand. Um, <laughs> no, I, I don't think yeah. I'm dumb. I hope people don't <laughs> think I'm dumb. I, I just—it's mostly just because I did not care. Stuff was yes, it was coming first and furious, and stuffs whizzing by you, mm-hmm. but I just didn't care. I don't care what the androids doing. I didn't care what the brothers doing. Um, everything was just so either by the numbers or just bad. Uh, I, I did not like it. No. Would not recommend Ogron. Ogron. Yeah. Ogron.
1: I, I don't. I I would agree with you. I think it is an Ogron. I don't think it's the worst episode of Doctor you ever made. I think that <laughs> that might be a a contender, and, and perhaps a, we take a side trip at some point to figure out what that is. Um, but it's definitely an Ogron. It doesn't try anything really new here right even though it might think it's doing that with a male pregnancy it's not really new as you say red dwarf did it like 20 years earlier um it just yeah it's it's not it's not notable it's not it's not reaching for something there's there is no professor there's no redeeming professor hater that's to this um yeah sorry sorry chris chibnall you've got to go back to the the drawing board I don't think like I don't think you ever have to uh, apologize for like not picking up the plot um, <laughs> on something uh, because as you say it's about emotional investment and if if we're not getting the if we're not just like if we don't care enough to pick up what's going on here on multiple viewings something is wrong with the script and I yeah I've, I've read a few sort of uh, takes on this that say oh it's kind of yeah it was okay. Like it was, but nobody like flat out loves it. There is no Saranga Conundrum fan club out there. It it just doesn't exist. And I I did, you know, since we had the folks from, uh, since we had Dave on from the Doctor Who show last week, I went back and listened to what they had to say about the Saranga Conundrum. And it was, Hmm. it was that they, you know, they'd got like 15 minutes in and they didn't hate it. It was like the... (laughs) 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 <laughs> 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 the mildest compliments that they had on that show for the Serenica Conundrum, and uh yeah well, and that I, is I, I that is the best, sort of the best part of them. i can say about it too is like yeah. i didn't I, I didn't really hate it that much like i yeah. was able to swallow it in one bite how about that
0: <laughs> that's very pating centric review and we'll take it yeah Um, yeah, the first 15 minutes is the best part and it's still not great. Um, all right, Mm. we're going to have to regurgitate the Sananga conundrum. And then once we're done that, we are going to pack into our time ship and activate the randomizer to find out where we're going next. That's right. Guys, the randomizer is composed of two parts uh first is the pull to open codex which i have open in front of me it is a spreadsheet of every single episode of doctor who in sequential order uh but we have to introduce the random element to find out where we are ha- going next time and that yes. random element and, you have control of do you not chris taylor
1: that's right. It is played by random.org, uh, which is a website that uses atmospheric noise, not algorithms, to create randomness. And uh, it is true randomness uh, and, and very doctor-ish randomness to use uh, atoms bouncing around the atmosphere. Uh, whether or not there are any positrons involved in random.org's uh, calculation, we don't know. Um, But nevertheless, it gives us a true random number. And I will enter into Random.org, also known as the Executor, the maximum number based on the number of episodes and stories of Doctor Who that we have left. Pete, what is the magic number this week? The magic
0: number is 221.
1: Oh, yes. We've crossed the 222 barrier. Uh, (laughs) As Dave said last week, two hundred twenty-two is, is the Australian <laughs> cricket commenter way of saying it. But we are now in 2221. Um, so, yes, let's give the randomizer some challenges, even though we're not really in control. Uh, we, we'd like to say, please, Mr. Randomizer, could you take us to... And Pete, what do you got this week?
0: So this was in the future. And even though I am uh, usually want to do the opposite, so take us to the past, I'm actually going to say... This picture of the future uh, was not good. <laughs> Take us to a better version of the future, please, uh, Mister Randomizer. Mm. That's what I'm going for.
1: I'm I'm going to say uh, perhaps something that could dovetail with that is give us give us more antimatter. Mm. Uh, there are a lot of well known episodes of of Doctor Who stories and Doctor Who that have antimatter as part of the plot. The Three Doctors is one. Right. The shock is another. You know, mm-hmm. antimatter gets mentioned in, in both those. Uh, I'm sure there are others. Well, we did Take Planet
0: of t- Evil already, which was perhaps That's the most right. antimatter yes. centric for all of them.
1: Uh, so we can't do that. Yeah. But I'm sure that, can't yeah, that, I'm sure but but come let's, up. Let's make progress on our antimatter bingo, please, Mr. <laughs> Randomizer. Uh, so, yes, Pete, give me a countdown. I will hit the generate button and we'll find out where we're going next week.
0: And we find out in four, three, two,
1: one. No, not the Mind Probe. 38, we have gone Ooh, early. Very
0: early. 38.
1: <gasps> oh.
0: Uh-oh. Uh-oh. The War Games.
1: <gasps> oh, we hit it. We did it. It's,
0: oh, it's the, the
1: crisis is upon us. It uh, happens, ladies and gentlemen. As you know from listening to Pull to opens, Passim, uh, we have been afraid of the war games. We're afraid of uh, the Daleks' master plan. Obviously, Flux. These these super long uh stories. This this will be, I guess, the third longest story in Doctor Who history. Since we know Flux is now the first. Here's the thing. Okay, look, this is like our fifth. Is it our fifth? It's our fourth.
0: It's our fourth Troughton episode. How are we hitting the war games on the fourth time we go to Troughton? There's like <laughs> 16, 17 other stories. We hit the war games? Really? The longest one, the 10-episoder. That's what we're going. You, Randomizer, are taking us to this. This is not a better vision of the future. This is not a better vision of Pult of the Open Future. <laughs> Let's pace ourselves. The war games, Really? I'm kind of mad at the randomizer. I think the randomizer is punishing me for being so hard on the Soranga conundrum. It's like you were mean, and you now have to sit down and watch hours and hours of television to prepare for your next
1: episode of Pull to Open. Take that, Pashal. Well, I will. I will say this: I'm actually quite pleased, and because we had uh-huh. to hit it eventually. Yeah, and I have not seen. I've not seen the war games. Wow! Look at uh, that. I've seen, obviously I've seen the end. Everyone has seen the end of the war games where Troughton starts to regenerate and does his gurning face, but I've not seen it itself. And I've kind of, you know, obviously always been intimidated by the length of it, but also like it seems to the longer time goes on this more, it seems to be venerated as Trouton's best and perhaps one of the best stories in, in all of classic who maybe in all of doctor who itself. So yeah. I'm, I'm accepting this fate willingly.
0: It's interesting you say that. Uh, and actually, you reminded me of something because I recently received my most recent Doctor Who magazine. Um, and this one is showing the first results, the initial results of the pool, the poll they're doing this year for the 60th anniversary. Oh, yeah. And they did release the results for the first and second Doctor Eras. And you're, you're dead on. The War Games is now ranked number one according to fans wow. followed closely by uh tomb of the Cybermen. And it was in that same position in 2014, the last time they did this poll. So it is really well remembered. I've seen the war games. I've actually seen it more than once, but long, long ago. In other words, like I found it compelling enough as a kid to go back and watch mm-hmm. it at least once, maybe even twice way back uh, when I was in junior high or high school. So uh, there's, there's stuff to really like about it. Um, it's been a while uh but they're I, I i so don't get me wrong i'm really looking forward to enjoying this episode again but 10 episodes it's just oh, i've got a 10 episodes it's funny we were yeah. even before we recorded today about like time we need to devote <laughs> to tv and on the podcast <laughs> and it's like it's like the randomizer hears all our conversations just just playing it with really us you know
1: does. it really does and you know what else in 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 uh, by run up i i I said, and I kind of realized as I was saying it. I said, "Let's see where we're going next week." <laughs> um, I think I think we know quite clearly. We 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 have a lot going on in the coming week. I don't think we can watch this all in one week. Yeah, Sorry, I guys. think
0: we're going to stretch uh, out. That doesn't necessarily mean, dear listener, you will not have pull to open to listen to and uh, perhaps some of those interesting uh, short trips or sidesteps that we talked about a little earlier. Uh, but the war games, we got to give it, we got to give it room to stretch out
1: so that's right come on I back to it, but also yeah. I think we've also established that the, that the randomizer reads Doctor Who magazine so it's I'm, mm. I'm glad to hear that there is that connection as well just got
0: really excited by that poll I was like oh, we gotta do it we gotta do mm-hmm. we gotta do war games yeah. well we're gonna do war games so come on back next time or perhaps the time after that <laughs> for our full take on the war games thank you so much uh for listening and subscribing in case you haven't go ahead and hit that subscribe button and if you are subscribing on a podcast app and you don't subscribe on youtube why don't you go over to youtube and set a subscription there it's really going to help the show obviously we are available all over where you can find podcasts on apple spotify uh stitcher google podcasts all the good stuff please share the podcast with a friend we're probably available on whatever platform they like uh thank you martin west for our music which is rocking and uh hey for you fans who have may not have left a review yet please do that follow us on the socials twitter instagram facebook pull to open 63 tiktok pull to open and we will talk to you next time or very soon to take apart the war
1: games all right take care everyone see you then